to another episode of Zags on Air. I am your host, Bobby Levitan, joined again by Max Montoya. And we have another very special guest for you guys today. He is a former member of the Gonzaga men's basketball team from 1996 to 2000. He was the second leading scorer of the 1998-1999 Elite Eight team that started Gonzaga's current 24-year March Madness streak. And he is such so loved and remembered by so many Zag fans to this day. Fans, please welcome Matt Santangelo. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great, y'all. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm gonna now. I'm gonna go straight into your time at Gonzaga, and I want to start with, of course, the 1998-1999 season, just to set the stage for some of the listeners who might have not known Gonzaga existed back then or weren't familiar with the basketball team. This was pre-marked a few times, so they finished 28 and seven under Coach Dan Monson. And what's crazy to me is you guys obviously played your home games in the Martin Center, which yep. is crazy. Like this is pre-McCarthy times. Uh, you guys made it to the Elite Eight. You upset Minnesota and Stanford on the way, obviously losing to eventual champions UConn, but it was a very close game. But yeah, so Dan Monson was the coach. Mark Few was was still an assistant on that team. What what's the what stuck out to you most about that year and that whole experience? Well, I'm going to go even a little bit further back. I, you said pre-McCarthy times. I thought you were going to say prehistoric times. And I was going to be really excited <laughs> you guys for, for aging me quite that that far. Um, so when I was recruited out of high school, out of Portland, I actually coached few at the time recruited guards. So it was the head coach was Dan Fitzgerald. Um, coach Munson was on staff. He was the, the first, the, the lead assistant. He recruited the bigs and coach few and, and Fitzgerald recruited the guards. So when I first showed up, um, they were coming off their first West coast conference championship in 1994 uh, under Jeff Brown. He was WCC player of the year that year. And they had a really good team. Uh, that was really the group that we, we looked up to. So 94, they won their first West Coast Conference Championship. Uh, 1995 was Gonzaga's first appearance in the NCAA tournament um, under Kyle Dixon as a point guard and Scott Snyder, the power forward. Um, and they they had a really nice squad. They ended up losing to Maryland. They were the 15 traditional 15-2 seed um, back before there was quite as much uh, parity in the tournament as there is today. Um, and so there was a, there was a lot of history. And I, I say that because for the old heads or the, the Zags that go back that this, you know, basketball program has been around for a long time, uh, and has had, you know, significant success. Um, you know, clearly not the national success that we've enjoyed for the last, you know, shoot 25 years, but, um, but still like there was a pedigree of winning and an expectation to win and compete for championships. Uh, and so we had, you know, we, I made a transition. So I redshirt my freshman year. Um, and we made a transition uh, my freshman year, redshirt year, and my freshman playing year under Fitzgerald. My sophomore year and junior year were under Coach Munson. And then my senior year was Coach Fuse, first year as, as head coach. And so um, there was a uh, really a jump from Fitzgerald, kind of the old guard, to Munson, Coach Few, and Coach Greer's philosophy, my, what would have been my sophomore year. And this is all coming back to your NCAA question, but I think it's important because what the younger coaches did when that coaching transition happened is they said, why not us? Like, why can't Gonzaga schedule bigger teams, bigger schools? And that was really kind of the, I think the first kind of um, uh, expression of anyone, anywhere. Right. I mean, that was, that was, that's the hallmark that our Gonzaga was built on. And that's changed a little bit over the years, a little bit, not much, but a little bit. But back then, we just we wanted to play everywhere. And the 97-98 team was probably the best team I was on, uh, you know, top to bottom, the roster, even though 98-99 largely, largely gets a lot of credit because of the um, uh, the success we had in the NCAA tournament. 
but there was, I mean, we were good. And then coaches challenged, like coaches scheduled differently. And that's what I remember is just really going out um, with a huge chip on our shoulder, competing against the big teams uh, and ultimately having success, which led us into the 1999 NCAA tournament where we, um, you know, we were the Cinderella. That's that, that is an amazing journey. And it's awesome what you talked about with the different philosophies and all the coaches and everything. Now I want to talk about, Coach Hughes specifically, what was the transition like going from Coach Munson to Coach Few, and what was it like playing for a head coach in his first year? Yeah, so I think, you know, I I think it was interesting because, you know, Coach Few was there. Like I said, he recruited me out of high school. He had been at Gonzaga for a long time. They had a, a good core. You throw in Billy Greer um, as well in that kind of lineage of that coaching staff. So they had a good group of young coaches. So the transition from Fitzgerald to Munson and Munson to Few, to answer your question, just wasn't all that significant because these young coaches had, I mean, they were running the, the practice plans. They were, you know, coaches, uh, Few has always been kind of a technician on the offensive end of the uh, floor. Uh, maybe Coach Munson and Coach Greer were a little bit more the defensive, uh, you know, defensive strategists. So there wasn't that big a transition because it was still the same coaching staff. You know what I mean? It's the same philosophy, same, same idea culture. Yeah, sure. They all put their fingerprints on it, but um, it wasn't the coach few we know today. Right. I mean, for us, it was just the assistant coach that now is the head coach. Um, And at the time, you know, after 1999, we were actually coming off of uh, off the elite eight run. We had five juniors uh, and two contributing sophomores. Uh, So going into coach Few's senior year, we had five seniors and two contributing juniors it didn't matter who the coach was. Let's just be completely frank and honest. You just need to roll the ball out. We're coming off the elite eight. You know, you got five seniors coming back. You got two juniors who are studs. Like we just wanted to play ball. And, uh, and our big rallying cry motivation was we just didn't want to be a one hit wonder. You know, we wanted to back up the elite eight run with success our senior year and really start to um, lay the foundation. I mean, who knew what was to come, right? There's no way we could have guessed, you know, what was to come, but uh, we wanted to be we wanted to be recognized as a good program, not just a good team. Um, and that was really our that summer after ninety nine after the elite eight run, that was a lot of our motivation and inspiration was we wanted to come back and prove to the world that we weren't a fluke, that we weren't a one hit wonder. Um, and so it wasn't so much this, you know, it was the culture of the program, including the coaches, but it wasn't like this wonder kid, you know, new coach changing up these things and empowering us to go do things like we were already hungry and good. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. It's super interesting to see how keeping it in house really gave you guys that, I don't know, just coach to coach to coach, everything kind of stayed the same for you guys. Obviously you, you saw coach for you as an assistant, you saw him for his first year as a head coach. In your vision, how has he changed from his first his assistant days and his first year as head coach to now? You know, what are yeah. we at twenty four straight appearances? What how how do you think that's evolved and evolved you the know, program? Yeah, you know, I think I think one of the great gifts of coach two great gifts I can he has a ton of gifts, but two that I can think of to answer that question. One is his unwavering belief in what's possible. I think that that's a kind of a hallmark of Gonzaga basketball, and certainly under his leadership. Um, is a really, really important, uh, uh, you know, element because he said, you know, why not us? And you see it like he didn't go to a bigger school. He didn't go when these other opportunities to, to go to a power five conference and, and potentially, you know, earn more money and things like that. He's like, no, why, why can't we do it from here? And so that, that, that kind of unwavering belief of what is possible, um, 
is really unique to Coach Few. That's one of his great strengths. The other one that I think is really relevant, at least for this conversation, is this is his consistency. Um, you know, he's his his values that we you know seen in you know full display. But like, it's just he's consistent. It's never it's never too far up. It's never too far down. You know, it's never celebrating wins too much or uh, lamenting losses too much. It's just beautifully consistent. Um, and I think those two things have really um, been foundational to his success as a coach. I think as far as transition, I probably have a little better perspective on coach, uh, his his style, because I did the radio. I was on the radio broadcast for seven seasons. And, um, you know, the original, the original Final Four, the 2017 run, I got to be on the radio. But the year that was really uh, telling to me was 2015, uh, Pangos and Bell. And it was Coach Few's first Elite Eight. We were in um, Houston. Um, uh, they ended up losing to Duke in the uh, Elite Eight game. A good Duke team that I think might have gone on to win it that year. Maybe. Don't quote me on that. Um, I'm sure we could ask someone, some some form of Google or uh, chat GPT to tell us who won that year. Um, but uh, he, it was really interesting in that time because it felt like once he got his first Elite Eight, his first Elite Eight, not the universe, second one for the university, there seemed to be like a, a real weight lifted up from his shoulders. You know, and this is after years of Sweet 16s, but it was like, you know, second round games. And it was almost like he kind of broke through the glass ceiling. And you could kind of see a change in him as a, as a I, you know, I don't see him day to day as a coach any longer, but you could kind of see a change in him and how he interacted that just a weight had been lifted. You know, it seemed to be like a little bit more um, enjoyable for him to go through this grind of what a college basketball season is and the pressures and expectations and the spotlight that he lives under and his, the program lives under. Um, and I thought that that was really, really an interesting time, transitional time, because then all of a sudden it was like, okay, we did this. We He finally got his Elite Eight under his belt. And then the world kind of opened up a little bit as to what's possible. And it was like a redefining of like, what is exact, what can we do? And Final Four became a realistic conversation, you know, that it just kind of and continues to kind of climb as to what we can actually do. Um, and again, back to that unwavering belief that what what is possible, um, coupled with his, his consistency over time and then seeing him achieve those levels of success, you know, throughout this run um, and what that's done to him as a coach and as a, you know, as a man and and. Um, you know, how maybe years there were, he was really tight and nervous and felt the pressure and expectations defensive to where he just started to seemingly enjoy the journey a little bit more and, and continue to take this thing to the whole, you know, higher and higher heights. I, I want to go back to something you said earlier. Um, you said you got the chance to call the game for, for Gonzaga against Texas Tech on the radio. Now, if I'm not mistaken, 2017, when they got to the Final Four, that was the farthest Gonzaga had ever been up until that point. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. talk to me about what that atmosphere was like calling that game, being a fan of Gonzaga. I know ultimately we did lose, but I'm sure the game itself was an amazing experience. Talk about what, talk about what that was like for you. Well, the whole thing was 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 spectacular because, again, I you know, I've been I've been around this program for a long time now. I've, I've, I've and I've been uh, I've been fortunate enough to be really involved in some high points in this journey as well. Um so, you know, the game that really was really uh, uh, pretty amazing to me was, I mean, they, we beat West Virginia in the Sweet 16. That's the um, um, uh, Matthew shot. Then they we kind of crushed Xavier in the Elite Eight game. 
Um, and I remember just, I remember being on the radio and trying to talk about these things. And I, I got emotional. Like I broke down in tears. I, my partner, the, the real talent on the radio broadcast, Tom Hudson, the voice of the Zags. Um, I at one point had to look over and like, Huddy, I can't, I got nothing. To, I can't say anything. Like I can't form words. I was so, uh, emotionally invested in what was going on, uh, f- for that team and kind of the, the gravity of the moment of getting to the final four you know, and, and having, you know, believed it was possible, but maybe never really understanding what it meant to, for a school like Gonzaga to, to be at this level. Um, so really emotional. And then we go to the final four, um, and it's just, I mean, it's great. So the, one of my, my great final four story, there were probably, it was in Phoenix. I mean, there were, there had to have been about 60 former players, um, all wow. generations, all generations. So older than us, us younger guys, all, all generations. And coach really, really wanted to allow this experience to be shared by a lot of people, families and, and athletes and alums, things like that which was really nice of him. He didn't need to do that because, you know, a lot of times you get into these high pressure situations. These are business trips, right? You know, teams are really locked down. They're, they're focused. They, they don't, and, but coach really had a different approach. Like, Hey, we, we need to enjoy it. Yeah. We're here to win, but we need to enjoy this experience too. And so he, uh, because of my relationship with a lot of these players and, you know, generationally, I had kind of been put in charge to coordinate the alumni effort, uh, all the players. And so we got invited is before the semifinal game, before the final four game, uh, the last film session in the hotel, we all got invited up to um, do the film session and be with the team the night before the game. Really special. Again, like 60, 60 dudes. And so I remember going up and, you know, trying to coordinate everyone. We're all down in like the lobby, lobby bar, and we're going to go up the elevators to where the conference rooms are, where the team is, uh, where they're finishing their film session. And we're going to walk in to their film session. And so trying to coordinate all this group, and of course, this is all proud Zags, multiple generations, you know, all different types of impact. Um, and we all go up there and eventually we get called into, uh, you know, called into the room and we walk into the, the conference room where they're watching video and the current Zags, Nigel and that whole crew, they stand up and give us a standing ovation. The old, old dogs, the old heads that walk in. And it was such a touching moment. Like it was literally such a touching moment to be a part of, um, you know, to be, to, to think that we all had, you know, we all played a part in this uh, experience and that the young, the current team that was getting ready for their final four game um, had the, you know, the, the, the graciousness and the thoughtfulness to, to kind of celebrate the history of the program too. And it was just a really, really special moment. So that whole weekend was magical. A lot of this run, honestly, like a lot of this run, you can't put into words. Like you can't, it's hard to articulate it because we've been doing it for so long. Um, but like, you can't, I, I've said this before, like, had you sat me down as a high school senior and said, okay, well, how do you want your college career to go? I couldn't have dreamt big enough. Like I couldn't have put words to what a, like our experience was during my five years, right? Your year and four years playing, let alone the fact that I'm talking to you two, you three today. 25 years later, like it doesn't make sense. Right. And so it's, I'm really grateful for that. I'm really humbled by that. And I'm really proud that that's uh, you know, that uh, we had an impact and the program continues to have a, a similar impact on people. That's an amazing story. I mean, it's just, it's really crazy. To just kind of see the history here. I mean, none of us 
the people you're talking to right when we're not alive when any of this happened. And it's, yeah. it's crazy to see that something that you built before we were even born is still here today. Seasons later, teams keep coming and coming and coming and adding, but really your, your team and your kind of years here were formative to this program as a whole. And I just, you kind of touched on it. It's just really amazing. It's hard to put into words. Like, I don't even know what, what a question to ask you because you have such like a rich story to tell on all this. But I mean, I guess if there's a question I want to ask you is like, you've seen it evolve, even just your time playing. How has kind of the college game and Gonzaga's game evolved since you played and during the time that you played? Yeah, well, we used to run the dang flex offense. I, I left that school, whatever it was, third in scoring and first in assists, and we ran the flex offense. I don't even think we ran pick and rolls. Can you imagine what I would do in the modern game? Are you kidding me? Um, that's 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 the big brother in me um, talking. Um, some of that's there's some truth in that, but um, not a lot. No, I think I think the game has uh, you know obviously the game has evolved. Um, it's so much more wide open. Players are so much more skilled. Uh, more, um, their skill set is more well-rounded, you know, position to position. Um, well, the one thing I still get amazed at just the size of the athletes, you know, like the size of these dudes that are coming here, the women too, like just the athletes that come in there, like, oh my gosh. Um, but even with all that being said, like we were good. Like we were, we were a good squad. We were tough. We were angry. We played with a chip on our shoulder. Um, you know, we, so there is that, you know, we're competitive, um, but like, it's also good perspective, you know? So it's like the game has changed, the style has changed, but the DNA is the same, you know, and the culture is, is the same. And there's a, there's a commonality between when, you know, even if I get to walk into the locker room now um, and, you know, and, and get to sharing some of these stories with the current roster, there's a, there's a familiarity and a commonality there. Uh, and I do think that is largely in part to the coaching staff, Coach Few specifically, and the athletic department because of the continuity, you know, the continuity of the staff, the continuity of the administration. I mean, Chris Daniford, the current athletic director, he was there when I was in school. You know, the associate athletic director, Shannon Straw, was a classmate of mine. Um, you know, like I, these are people that are friends of mine that have been friends for a long time. Um, and that's important, you know, when you talk about continuity and uh, this history, this rich history and this rich story. Um, th- you know, if this was a completely different coaching staff, we wouldn't have the same connection to it, even though we'd be proud of it. And we would be, you know, proud of our history, our, our part in it, but it wouldn't be the, it wouldn't have the same depth, um, which is really special about Gonzaga, I think. It's, it's definitely fascinating hearing someone's perspective of Gonzaga. It's obviously being students here now and just hearing how similar and how shared those experiences you have from what 25 years ago are. It's, it just shows, like you said, it shows to the continuity that Gonzaga has and how it's been inspiring lives and changing people for such a long time and how it's continuing from, from you to me and how it's, I'm sure it's going to continue on to future generations beyond us. It's, it's, it's just crazy how, how much a university like Gonzaga can unite, unite people just in my my opinion. It is. It's it's that connectedness. I know Zags, we, we got our little silly saying, but Zags, Mary Zags, my, my (laughs) wife, partner, best friend is right over in the other room reading a book right now. Um, I have a freshman at Gonzaga this year. Um, Oh, wow. So like, you mean we're through and through, man, like this is, 
this is uh it, it does mean something neither one of us are from spokane you know this is our home now but we're not from here um so we don't have the deep spokane roots or at least we're we don't our kids will um and so it's something that we are really proud of but i do think there is a, a definite connective tissue um for all of us it doesn't matter you know generationally or not or age or whatever um when we say like you know we're zags that means something definitely absolutely now um i want to get into your pro career yeah and i want to talk about your time overseas now if i'm not i want to make sure i got all the countries right you played in greece italy poland and spain Yep, And you also won a gold medal with Team USA during the 1999 World University Games in Spain, which I think is an yep. cool, amazing story about that, and I'll ask you in a second. But just talking about your time overseas and playing in those different leagues, what was that experience like for you, and how did the European game compare to the American game? <laughs> yeah. Um, the European game was fantastic because every it's, it's like the NCAA tournament or college basketball where every game counts. Right. This is an 82 game NBA season, you know, where you're playing in February and some, you know, you know, you're you're load managing. You're not even playing. (laughs) It's like this is college level intensity where every game and in Europe, it's set up similar. to It's based on football. It's based on soccer where you playing home and homes. And so in order for you to have a chance to if you lose to a team by 10 points, and you then beat them at home by 11 points, the difference is the point spread, right? That's how you did. That's the tiebreaker. Every possession matters. So like you can't mail it in and get beat by 30 because you're tired or you're sick or you're on the road or whatever, because then you got to try to go beat someone by 31. So like every, every possession matters. So the level of intensity is unbelievable. So that part's beautiful. I, I love that part of, of the European game. I love the part of that part of sport. Um, and it's more, I think, more evident in your, the European style than it is in the American style. Because America, we play so many times. Like, and I, I've been in this youth basketball thing too. Like, everything's a showcase. Like, winning doesn't necessarily matter because I'm just trying to get mine and show out. And then if if I the four of us are on a team, but I didn't get enough shots, and I go play with another team next week, like it's you're not really learning the lessons of getting better and finding your way. You're just like, oh, I'm just going to go to the easiest thing possible until I can dominate, and then tell everyone how I dominated. So, and that's, again, that's a little bit old, old head, big brother in me there a little bit, but, <laughs> but I don't think I'm, but I don't think I'm wrong either. <laughs> so uh, no, uh, in Europe, they I all matter. It, it all matters. But the beautiful thing about Europe is you're playing with grown men. Like it's all the tricks It's the IQ is off the charts. Everyone's skilled. The ball's moving around. So like you get, you don't have like the LeBron James of the world, meaning the six, eight, two sixty fastest person in the league. Um, you know what I mean? Like you don't have those, the Giannis's, the, the, these physical specimens that are just completely otherworldly, but you got dudes that know how to play the game. They play it the right way. Um, and they've been playing it for a long time. Uh, and then every possession counts. So it's a really, I think a beautiful brand of basketball and we've been saying this for years. This is nothing new. I mean, I've been saying this for 20, 20 years since I went overseas is that the 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 basketball um, globe is a lot smaller than it used to be and evidenced by the world championships just last year and the staff that Coach Few was on. You know, they went and kind of got their butts kicked a little bit. Um, and yeah, we did. You can say, oh, we didn't send LeBron and we didn't send whomever. It wasn't our best squad, but like we're sending NBA dudes. These guys are good. Yeah. Um, and they're still good, you know, so like, you know, I, I think there is some, um, I mean, there's some evidence here that 
that basketball is good all around the world. And that's no different than my experience. I will say this though. It was intense. Like in Greece, we literally sat in dugouts so people can throw stuff at the back of our heads. Um, and they all wow. smoked like, Oh my goodness. Like we, play, we played in this little tiny gym. The coach spoke Greek. I don't know. I don't speak Greek. What, what are you yelling at me for? And then oh the, they all God. would smoke at halftime. So you'd come out and you could barely see the other basket because it was just smoke. Cause it was like, everyone took the smoke <laughs> break. Oh, the fans would smoke. The fans would smoke. Our coach smoked. Oh, so like, you're oh playing, my, like, what? You get, you get done with the game. You'd hit the locker room. You'd be shining. You'd be like, like if I've been at the bars all night long, you smell like cigarette <laughs> smoke and like, oh my like, what gosh, what's going on? So like, I, there's a lot. I, I, I mean, I'm biased, but I, I, there were a lot of good stories from my time in Europe that were like, just random, just like l- a little bit crazy, just because the intensity of the fan base, um, they just there. It's a, it things just seem to. They just seem to care more, you know, and it's more accessible to the everyday person versus the show that is around, you know, American sports, you know, people just want to go to say they went, they don't necessarily want to go to watch the game or cheer the game on, you know, uh, America's become so much focused on social media. I agree. But, and, and I agree with you about the, the fans caring more in Europe because it, um, well, I was in Italy over the summer and yep. I got the chance to study abroad and I got the chance to go to a Fiorentina soccer game. Yep. And seeing the fans there and seeing how they acted was just so surreal and crazy. Not, nothing compared to what American fans could do. No, no, no. <laughs> and like basketball is the same people, just a smaller scale than football, than, than certainly than football in Europe. But it's the same fans, same, you know, the same person that likes watching soccer, likes watching basketball. It's just less people enjoy basketball compared to football over there. Um, right. But it, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was fun. It was, uh, um, and then all over the, you know, traveling, I, I, those four countries you mentioned were like the teams I played for, but we played all over Europe. So to see it north, mm-hmm. south, east, west, like it was really a, a quite an experience to to be firsthand living that way. Now, I wanted to go back to that experience with the Team USA at the World um, at the World University Games. How I, I now I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't heard of the World University Games. Was that something that existed back then? And, and what was that roster like and how did you get chosen? Yeah. So that one was, um, it was just, it was basically, it was a 22 and under team, uh, for team USA world university games was every four years, uh, for college age, you know, college athletes. Um, and it was basically a mini Olympics. So we had, it was mini summer Olympics. We had all sports from the summer Olympics. Um, and so it was coming off the elite eight year coach Munson was actually in a, uh, got chosen as an assistant coach. But we, I went to Colorado Springs for tryouts. I uh, made the first cut. The head coach was Oliver Purnell, who at the time was head coach at Dayton in Ohio. Uh, went back to Dayton for um, the second round of tryouts and just happened to make the team. So we, uh, that particular group was, I mean, these are old old names for you all, but back then it was legit names. I mean, Kenyon Martin, who at the time was the, was about oh, to be wow. the number one draft pick. Uh, his teammate, Pete Michael. Uh, Michael Red from Ohio State, yep. had a wonderful NBA career. Yep. Um, his point guard at Ohio State, Scooney Penn, um, Eric Barkley, St. John's, uh, Chris Mim at Texas, Mark Matz from Mim. Stanford. Yeah. Yep. Um, Chris Carrowell. Yeah. yeah. Chris Carrowell, who's on staff with Duke now. He was ACC Player of the Year. Um, Corey Bradford from Illinois. Uh, Brandon Haywood from North Carolina, who had oh, uh, yeah. played for a while yeah. in the NBA, is now doing 
uh, uh, sports commentary. Um, I'm trying to think who else was on that squad. That, that's a lot of them. I'm sure there's there some names there. There are some names. Yeah, no, there are some, some, there are some dudes for sure. Um, and so we go to world university games. I was, you know, backup point guard, me kind of Scooney Penn and Eric Barkley were the, the guard trifecta. At one point I had a world record, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to brag too much here on the no podcast, way. but uh, I had tied for most threes in a game until Carmelo Anthony Anthony set the record in a, a future uh, subsequent Olympics, um, and we beat Spain in Spain for the gold medal, um, and it was awesome. We 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 were four guys to a room, and it was me, Mark Madsen, Kenyon Martin, and Pete Michael were all roommates, kind of an odd couple mix of roommates. Uh, Kenyon and I got along real well, and then we actually came back our senior year and went to the rock and roll, rock and roll hall of fame and played Cincinnati played Kenyon and, and Pete, uh, back in Cincinnati. They were number one in the country is before Kenyon got oh. hurt. Um, and it was awesome. Cause I immediately went up and said hi to him before the game. And I was talking trash and Kenyon looked at me who was, I mean, Kenyon was, was a tough dude. He looked at me and he said, he said, he looked, pointed at the key, the paint. And he's like, <laughs> don't come in here. He's like, anything in here is, is mine. He's like, you everything. He, he's like, anything you want to do out here, you go do first possession of the game. Um, we're running our flex against them. I get a back door cut. And so I'm just layup. Kenyon comes out of nowhere and beats it. Boom. Off the backboard. I mean, damn near broke the backboard, just blocking my shot. Well, the ball gets bouncing around, you know, we, we, we retain possession and the ball swings around to me in the corner for a three knock down the boom, knock down the three. And immediately I just, I, you can see me on video, just run towards Kenyon. Cause I'm just laughing. Cause I was like, you told me, like you told me not to come in here, but like out here, like I'll take threes <laughs> for twos all day long. And so we, we, that was a fun game. We ended up losing. I remember Casey Calvary just smashed on Kenyon Mars. One of the great highlights in Gonzaga folklore ended up getting cut, had to get stitches. Um, Cause he just pounded on Kenyon's head. Um, yeah, all those games are fun, man. So that the World University Games was a great experience. It's, you know, representing your country, going through opening ceremonies, the whole pageantry around uh, that, and the fact that we won a gold medal. Like that's uh, you can't plan stuff like that. That's pretty cool stuff. No, yeah, um, that's crazy. <laughs> it, it is an amazing experience. I mean, that you are a great storyteller, by the way. I'll, oh, I'll have to admit, you, you do have a way of making a story sound. Very, very exciting. So kudos to you for that. Uh, now I want to get into the get to know you questions. Just have the yep. listeners give them a little bit more in, uh, insight into who you are. We'll start easy. Hopefully these questions won't be too difficult, but we'll start easy. So what would you say you miss most about your playing days? Um, playing days. I, I miss being good at something. That's not true. I'm good at a lot of things, but you know what I mean? Like I miss being... Um, yeah, I mean, the easy one is the camaraderie, right? That's, that's important. That's, is an important piece to me. Um, but I, I like, I miss the swagger of being good. Like we worked hard to be good. There wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you didn't just wake up and it happened. Like I've been doing this since third grade. Um, and I was a junkie for it. Like I love, I love the grind. Um, I love putting in the work. None of that ever scared me. I made a lot of sacrifices in my personal life in order to, to try to become better at the craft. Um, I, I, that, those are the things I miss is like the, like just getting in the gym and like being able to move and, and go do things. And even as I got older, even playing like old man ball, not anymore, but it would be fun because as a point guard, 
you know, your job is to facilitate and make stuff easier for other people. I mean, I, I mean, coach few told me this going into my senior year. He's like, the only thing that matters for a point guard is wins. Like it's wins and losses. It don't matter if you score 25, or you score zero. If you won, you did your job. And like that framed up everything. Cause my, my style was a little bit of a hybrid because it, I wasn't just, I wasn't necessarily a pass first guy. Cause I could go score. So like mine was game dependent, depending on where we, what we were doing as a team situation. Like am I, do I need to score here? Do I need to more, be more assertive? Is Richie Fromm going? Do I just need to facilitate for Richie or Casey or whomever was, was feeling it that night? Um, you know, that was, that was kind of how I had to evaluate game to game. Cause it wasn't like, I'm just going to go do these three things every single game and be really good. It's like, no, what, what's, what's the game giving me? What does the game need? Um, and so I miss, I like, I miss all that, like the chess match and then being good enough to go do it. Like that's, I guess, back to my point is like, okay, I need to go get 20 tonight. Okay, let's go do it. Let's, let's time up and let's go get 20. You know what I mean? Like just being, being able to go to that level that is you can't recreate in other walks of life. Yeah. We've talked a lot about teams, right? Yeah. We've talked a lot about this 98 team and how many good players you've had. Something Bob and I wanted to ask you was if you could choose any current or former Gonzaga player, could be this year's team, last year's team, anybody to put on your elite eight team, who would you put on that team and why? Oh, interesting. Um, It's hard because that particular group, I mean, if you look at Richie Fromm, right, in the in the great lineage of, I mean, he's a 6'5 knockdown shooter who could jump out of the gym. Like he, he's, you know, to me, could, would be, excel in any era. So like, I'm not really, I don't need, really need a two guard. I got one of the best that ever did it. So I'm not, you know. So then you look at, you know, power forward, Casey Calvary. I mean, you'd have to really dig deep to find someone that that is going to bring to the table what Casey brought every single night. Not just skill-wise, athletically, but his toughness. Like, I'm not messing with that one too much. You know, the 98-99 team, we were actually a two-guard backcourt. We had Quentin Hall, um, my my little behemoth buddy that we – he came in as a junior college transfer. It was his senior year. was 98-99 or 99. And we – you know, I made sacrifices to move off ball – but it really made us tough. Well, Quentin was, I mean, he literally at Purdue took on the entire arena, including head coach, Hall of Fame head coach, Gene Cady, because he's just tough. Like, that's what I mean. Like when I said we were tough, like we had some, we had some, it's like, yeah, could, would it be fun to have played with Nigel? Yep, for sure. Um, you know, the, the, obviously, you know, the, Andrew Nemhard, you know, yep, for sure. I don't know if I'm putting anyone in front of Quentin. I don't know. I don't know. So again, I'm biased, right? These are my, this is my crew, you know, at the center position, it would have been fun to play the dude like Shemek. Shemek, I think was, was unique in the fact, especially that final four, 2017, his senior year. Um, I'm more so on the defensive end because he was beautiful at just playing vertical basketball. Like people, and of course people are bouncing off him because he's huge. That would have been an interesting element that you can't really, that we didn't have. I mean, we had good centers, Axel Dench and Jeremy Eaton, but we didn't have that kind of rim protection type of. And then you look at the three spot. And this one's interesting because 98-99 had Mike Nielsen. And Mike Nielsen at the time could have been considered the greatest egg. Walk on to defensive player of the year. Um, I always kind of say Mike Nielsen's as strong as he needs to be, meaning like if the 
if the uh, car ran over the little old person, he'd be the type of person to just go over one hand and just pick up the car and help the person, like just as strong as, as strong as whatever the situation needed. He was strong enough to just do it. Um, yeah, there were guy, guys that maybe, I mean, he'd have been like, he was Mike Hart 1.0. If, if Mike Hart, Mike Hart was Mike Nielsen 2.0, just to kind of bring it to a little closer to the modern era. Um, I'm not really trading him for anyone. So I don't know, man. That's a good question. I put up my five against most of them. I mean, unless you just wanted to trade out point guards and get rid of me, then then maybe you know you have to ask them that. Maybe they'd want to get rid of me and add a better player. But I don't know if I'd if I'd trade anyone one of my guys for anyone else. That that is that, that is an interesting interesting point you make because I know this team wasn't an actual roster, but if I just thought like, what if you guys your five went up against the five of let's say Jalen Suggs, Andrew Nemhard, Julian Strother, Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren. Like if they if you put those five together, that that'd be a hell of a game. Is all I'm going to say. Bobby, say that again. You were kind of, you kind of froze for me. Give me the five one more time, just so I'm. The, the uh, I'd say Jalen Suggs, Andrew Nemhard, Julian Strother, Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren. Uh, uh, at least the the best five from the time I've been here. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, yeah, they would be amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be hard. I mean, do you throw you just throw Corey Kispert that whole five in on the squad. Corey, Corey Kispert too. Five. Put Corey in for Julian. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, there there have been some pretty awesome combination. I mean, anytime you mess with Sabonis, you throw out Kelly Olenek. You know, you got yes. there's you know the Pangos Bell era. Like you we're not mm. even talk about the Jeremy Pargo, Micah Downs, uh, Josh Heitfeld era. Like. Blake Step may have been the best one ever to do it. And we haven't even talked about Dan Dickow. Like, there are JP Batista. Are you kidding? Like, you're not moving him. Like, and we, and how do we not talk about Adam Morrison? Like, there are so many dudes that have gone through this thing now at every position that you're, I mean, you're going to get some, just some epic battles is what is, what ultimately, like, no one, no one's going to win the argument. You, you got to just roll the ball out and go play. <laughs> I agree. I agree. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it to hypotheticals. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, now, I'm curious. Have you been back to Europe since your playing days? And if so, where? No, we were going to go back. COVID shut it down. So we were going to go back as a family. My my oldest son, Calvin, who's a freshman at Gonzaga this year, was born in Spain, um, in Sevilla, Spain, south of Spain, when, I, uh, when we lived and played there. Uh, we were going to get back. Um, we had relatives in, in England. We were going to go to London and do a little bit of European travel. And then COVID took that from us. So, um, so no, I haven't, I haven't been back. Uh, that was our closest, uh, closest best effort uh, was during COVID. Very interesting. What do you think in your personal opinion impacted your life more playing against Zagger or playing overseas? I know they both had a really big impact on you, but can you pick one? Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly Gonzaga, is more um relevant daily because we live in spokane um but europe is more i don't know what this how to say it like more credible right because someone i mean yeah i was at gonzaga under scholarship so you know technically we were you know trading but like to get paid to play a game is really special too you know um Mm. so i think I mean, Gonzaga still plays a much larger role on a daily basis. But when I like when I lay my head down at night and I'm going, trying to think about what seems like six lifetimes ago, while I was playing basketball, um, 
like having been able to play professionally and get those, the worldly experiences, um, lends a whole different kind of lens and perspective to my life that you just don't get as a young college student. You guys don't have it. You, you don't have it yet. You will, you will, you just don't have it. Quite yet. <laughs> um, now th- this is an interesting question that I want to ask you. If you could go back and change, let's say one outcome, whether that be the outcome of a game or the outcome of a shot that maybe you want, you should have made, but didn't what, what event would you choose? Oh, for, I think for sure. I mean, I've never been asked that one, so I'm, I'm sure if I thought about it, I'd have different answers. But the Connecticut game, like to, having been on the radio when Gonzaga did go to that Final Four, and to think that we were lit, I mean, we were one, we were a one possession game under a minute in that one, and we were Connecticut's closest game of their NCAA, of their first national championship run, that two ninety nine run, like we were by far the most competitive game they had. Um, and to think that we were literally less than 60 seconds from the promised land, like that would have, I would have changed that outcome. Um, because like, again, 25 years later, we're talking, all we did, if you really think about it, all we did was win three games of all the sports and games you two have played that I've played. Like we're talking about three games, Minnesota, Stanford, Florida, you know, and like, it's not even like it's three games. I've played tens of thousands of games of things, you know, like, and so to, to think that those three games had that much impact or four games, obviously, but had that much impact on my life, just to think if we could have just got that fourth game, um, what a special experience is in, you know, who knows if it would have added anything, any additional color to my life, but that would be the one I think of. Now remind me who was on that UConn team. Was that the Ray Allen UConn team? No. So that was Rip Hamilton. That was Rip Hamilton. Okay. So, yeah. So wow. Ray's a little bit Ray's a little bit older than us, older than me. But it was Rip oh, Hamilton, really? that uh, point guard, Khalid El Amin, uh, Kevin Freeman, um, Ricky Moore was the two guard that just shut me down. I think I still have nightmares about that dude. Huh. Um, yeah, Jake Voskel in, inside. Uh, that was a good team, but okay. Rip Rip was the was the big stud on that one. It's the Rip Hamilton team. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I was thinking about it. And Ray Allen was ninety six. More, I think it was Ray Allen was Kobe's year. So yeah, yep. I, yep. I was I was off by a few years, but not by not by the same same era. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> we know you have a plethora of experience from the overseas, from Gonzaga, and just life in general. Have you ever considered coaching? Would you coach? Why or why not? Max, you got you froze for me there too. Can you repeat that? I'm sorry. Yeah, no worries. We know you have a plethora of experience from Gonzaga, from going overseas, played as you said, tens of thousands of games. Have you ever considered coaching? Kind of like why or why not? Would you ever coach? Yeah, I I, I considered it when I was transitioning out of basketball. Um, you know, when I was done playing at 30, and so, but it was what it was hard at that point because you do have to, you know, it's being a coach is a grinder, especially early on in your career. Um, and with that point, I, you know, married and had a, you know, our son was born and uh, we were pregnant with number two and I just didn't have kind of the luxury to, to start over. Um, also at 30, and maybe this is, goes back to your previous question, uh, Bobby, on, on maybe something I would have changed. Like I was wound really, really tight. Like, my time at Gonzaga was really special, but I can't say it was like a ton of fun. Like I, like I was focused, like to a point where like, I didn't necessarily enjoy the college experience like other, you know, students are that I hope, you know, that you all are. 
Um, because I, I was there to do, I was there to play ball. I was there to, to model my life in a way that was going to give me the most success possible, um, playing basketball. Um, so, uh, you know, with that being said, like, I, I think about, um, what that experience is and, and, uh, uh, you know, how, you know, I guess how, how important it all was. And I, I wouldn't have known how to do it any other way. Um, but when I was done at 30, like I needed a break. And so I, you know, I wanted to, you know, to figure out other things in this world that were valuable and think other things I could do. Um, and so that is a long way to say, you know, that was my consideration around coaching was just, you know, I needed, a, I was kind of burnt out on the game itself. I've since come back to love it very much. And I, you know, I've coached my kids, which isn't the, you know, the dad, the parent coach thing isn't always the best situation, but I have coached it. I'd love to be around development. I remember, you know, when I first got done, I used to just be able to go back and be practice squad. You know, I'd go back and be Della Vadova or Mickey McConnell from St. Mary's uh, in the practice squad going against Pangos and Bell during their era. Um, and I was still young enough and in shape enough to do that. Um, and I do enjoy the, the, the little tricks of the trade that you learn and teaching those. Um, but beyond that, it just never seemed uh, like a feasible, realistic path for, you know, myself and our family. Now, obviously you've accomplished so many things in life that the great, amazing athletic career. And then obviously your family too, but what would you say is your biggest accomplishment or the accomplishment in your life that you're most proud of? Shoot. The one I'm going to do tomorrow. I mean, I, that, I, that's an interesting question. And I, and I say that kind of tongue in cheek, obviously, but I'm, we're not done yet. We're not ready to, we're not evaluating, you know, like we're, <laughs> we're, we're adding layers to the story and chapters to the book. Um, this is true. This is true. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm most proud, like most proud of, um, I think I, I was listening to a different podcast and they said like, what's your favorite age? was another way to say it. Like, what was your, what's your favorite age? 15, 18, you know, me, my case, 25, 35. Like my favorite age is right now. Like this is it. <laughs> Cause everything you've done, same with the three of you, everything you've done is prepared you for this moment. You know, everything we do is prepared us for the moment that we have in front of us. And so if you're not looking at life that way, um, that's a shame. Like you got to think, rethink your perspective. Cause you know, I have earned my stripes. I've earned my gray hair, you know, like I've, I've earned, I've earned this age and I'm proud of it. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that uh, greatest accomplishment is yet to happen, even though I'm really proud of the things that I have accomplished. Well, knowing that your greatest accomplishment is still out there, what does your future <laughs> kind of hold for you going forward? Because you're still a pretty young guy. Lot to good, lot, good lot, lot left Max. to do. What, what's the future extra, hold for you? Credit for saying that. I think. Um, uh, so, um, gosh, you know family really really excited that uh like keep mentioning him calvin son is thriving as you know a college freshman want his experience to continue to be awesome we have a sophomore son my son who's a sophomore in high school you know want his experience to be spectacular and then a, a, my daughter who's a sixth grader who um is just a, a a total uh you know ray of sunshine um so like a lot of a lot of the things i look forward to are, are just watching them you know kind of forge their own path and and, and create their own journey and and find their own purpose or create their own purpose. Um, I look forward to growing old with my wife. Uh, you know, we're both young. Thank you again for that comment. Um, but like, you know, our relationship continues to get better and better. Um, and then I want to be, you know, it, it's, this is kind of an interesting one, but 
the transition from uh, your identity as an athlete or your identity as a student to, for me, like an identity as a professional, you know, and someone who goes out into the world provides value um, in my relationships and in my my work, my day job at, at DA Davidson as a wealth manager, a financial advisor, um, you know, providing value in that sense and working with families that kind of maybe comes back to some of the coaching too. maybe some of the coaching comes out in those relationships and those opportunities too. Um, but essentially, man, just leaving it better than how I found it. Like that's basically at the end of the day, I think that's, that's what our responsibility is, um, is just leave whatever we're doing better than how we found it. And so, um, you know, that's what I strive to do while maybe making people smile along the way. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I've I, I tried. It's, I mean, I'm still young, so I'm still maturing as it is. But I try to have just a, a positive mindset and to have that same mindset as you. So I'm, I'm glad I'm glad it looks like I'm on the right path. Looks like I'm <laughs> yeah. Or it's the blind leading the blind. I don't know. It could be either way. But either way, we're going to have fun. Along well, the way, so if you go down, good. I'm going down with you. So. <laughs> That's that's awesome. Now, last question uh, before we let you go. You see the Zags, Zags team this year. The talent's different compared to these last couple of years, but what would you say is your realistic prediction for the team this year? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, realistic prediction is Sweet 16, Conference Championship, Sweet 16, and then after that, it's a roll of the dice anyway, even when you're, even when you're stacked, you know? So um, I know how hard it is to win in that tournament. Uh, I don't think we ever can take it for granted as a fan base. I know we do, and we set these expectations. You know, Final Four or nothing, and um, I don't think this group necessarily has that expectation, but they have that, that ceiling for sure. Um, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, the, the Drew Timmy phenomenon was, was spectacular, but it really did, you know, kind of limit what some people could do. And now other guys are going to have to step up and that game's going to have to be a little bit more. Um, the ball's going to have to uh, move around differently and different guys stepping up different nights. So that, that's always kind of fun. And what a challenge for coaches. Man, on all this, uh, you know, transfer portal stuff, I'm very involved with Zags Collective and name, image, and likeness as well. Um, so I'm definitely in the middle of all that too. Um, and that is a challenge. So I, I say that just because, the, the again, the hallmark of Gonzaga is this culture, this culture of winning, this culture of excellence, this culture of uh, getting better day in and day out. Um, you know, when you have so many new faces, uh, how do you kind of maintain and continue that culture? And you know, fortunately, we, you know, Anton came back. He's a huge piece to that, 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 um, certainly Nolan is, you know, he's going to have a big year and, and he's ready to have a big year, but that, that, um, culture in the locker room and in practice every day and how to be a young professional and how to, uh, show up and do the work that's necessary, all that stuff matters. And it just, we don't get to see that, unfortunately, you know, like we don't get to see the day to day. Um, we just get to see the kind of the highlights or games when the lights are on, but, the real work is done when the, when no one's watching anyway. So, um, and that's what Gonzaga has always been really good at is working when no one's watching. Well, Matt, thank you so, so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate your time. The, 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 all the stories you told were amazing. I had such a blast. So I'm sure it was a blast in the past for you, but it was also just more of an information for us and telling us more about the Gonzaga history. 
So we thank yeah. you so so much I for didn't coming know on. I, became, I didn't know I'd just become a historian now. This is wild. <laughs> I had to add it to the resume again. Another another bullet point on the resume. No, I really appreciate the opportunity. I, 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 it's it's literally the greatest story in college sports. There's nothing like it. We can't take it for granted. It's a gift. Um, we have to have that that appreciation. Yeah, we can have high expectations. We can push people to be better. Um, but it's really, really special to be associated with this program uh, and this university. And it's uh, like I said, like our life accomplishments, they ain't done yet. They're going to keep doing big, bigger and better things. Exactly. Well, thank you so much again, Matt, for coming on. Good luck uh, with the rest of your career and everything that you do. And again, thank you so much for coming on. We had a blast. Yep. Thanks thank you, Matt. Me. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.